my hope is that over some of the weeks and months ahead that we will learn as a people. I suppose two things are really on my heart over the last number of weeks. One is to learn to move in the rhythms of grace. Uh, Eugene Peterson has a lovely phrase in describing in, in those verses, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he uses this phrase to, to learn, Jesus says to those who are listening to him, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Come to me and, and, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's what I long for myself and for all of us to do in all of our lives and to really think about that over the next weeks and months. And also as well to think about, well, how, how do we handle the Word of God well? How do we, um, how do we learn from God? Uh, God exercises His authority in a very significant way through Scripture, and it's an authority that comes by the authority of Jesus Himself. Without Jesus, this book has no authority whatsoever, because this book is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Him before He came, when He came, and after He came. So the authority of this book, it all emanates from the person of Jesus Christ. They're the two things that I really long for us to grow in over this year ahead. My sense is that as we go wider out in mission through our compassion ministries and our cap money course and our cap jobs club and our clothes boutique and our copy things and our alpha courses and our men's ministry and us living our day-to-day lives and our place of work and family and, and sports clubs or wherever it is, that in all these various aspects, that as we seek to go wider out in terms of being lights for Christ in the community, also as well, we will continue to go deeper into Christ. Because that wider stuff will only work as we, as we give the love of God to people through prayerfully living lives of unforced unforced lives, and as we communicate God's love and truth to people. So we're doing these five weeks of feast, which helps to encapsulate our five main values. Uh, We've looked at fellowship, and we're going to look at evangelism. We sort of skipped them around a wee bit, and today we're looking at adoration, all to do with worship. And for us, it's really saying that we really value an attitude of worship that seeks to and desires to to serve and honor and glorify our Heavenly Father in every aspect of daily life. And I think it's really good of all our values. That's the one value that really talks about time. It really talks about the fact that you and I live in a time-bound creation where time is moving forward. God has set creation in motion and has forward time. And you and I mark it out because God's made it this way in terms of days and and months, and weeks, and years. And uh, so I'd love for us to think for a moment this morning about how do we use our time as worship to God? So we'll start in the Old Testament and think a little bit about what does the Bible say about patterns of work and patterns of rest. 
Genesis chapter 2 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Wonderful and yet mysterious picture of here is God who is outside creation. He is outside time. And yet he creates time to move forward in forward motion. And somehow, in some amazing, mysterious way, God connects himself to his creation. Because Genesis is saying, God rested in a seven-day pattern. So here is God who didn't have to place himself in any way in time and creation. And yet some way, our timeless God remains intimately connected in the patterns of how our universe and how our world works. And the way the scriptures talk about it in the Old Testament is this seven-day rhythm. Six days of work and one day of rest. Six days of work and one day of rest. Six days of work and one day of rest. Next book in the Bible, Exodus, the next major part of the things that we often remember that come to mind concerning teaching about the Jewish Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, Exodus chapter 20, in the midst of the Ten Commandments, Moses, having brought the people out from slavery in Egypt, Mount Sinai, delivers the Ten Commandments. This is number four. Notice the fact it's not just about Sabbath rest. It's also something that we often miss, six days of work. And also as well, there's a justice issue in here because it's not just saying to the Jewish men, remember to take a day of rest. It's saying, take a day of rest and make sure everybody else gets the day as well. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter or your male or female servant not even your animals, any foreigner residing in your towns. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there's this sacred time pattern going through. It's marking out time in creation and the Jewish mindset. And the reason why God has done this is because it is building towards a thing. Time doesn't move in a circle. Time moves in a line. And basically, it's moving towards a crescendo. And what's happening is Old Testament is basically saying, and this just increases as time goes on, it is building, it's building, it's building towards the day when God not only has this, has this touching point of a heavenly holy day every seven days. But there's a day coming when the glory of God himself will fill all of his creation. When it's not just a marker that's down there every seventh day, but the glory of God is going to fill the whole of his creation. And the Old Testament is always looking forward to this day that's coming, the day whenever the life of the creator completely coincides with the life of his creation. And so in Leviticus, the next book of the Bible, there's this great thing called, well, there's two things. One is the Sabbath year. So once every seven years, the land is to get a a year of rest. Give the land a break. Just eat what grows wild. And then once every 50 years, the jubilee. So after the 
the Sabbath of a, a week of sevens, seven sevens, after 49 years, on the 50th year, you're to blow the trumpet and to declare, it says in the Jewish scriptures, a year of jubilee. It's a year of complete liberation. It was an amazing thing in the, East, in the ancient world to do because one of the main parts of it was debt was wiped out. And the second part, slaves were set free. If you were a slave living in Israel, you were looking forward to the 50th year because you were handed your freedom in the 50th year. And if you were in debt, the debt was wiped out. Ancestral property was handed back to the original family where it was at the start of the 50 years. So if you had fallen hard times, if you had lost your land, if you had become poor, if you were scraping a living, 50th year was good news. Because if you'd sold yourself as a slave to your neighbor, or you'd sold your land to feed your family, on the 50th year, everything was restored. And so the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah is saying, you know, this this jubilee that we celebrate, there's a big jubilee coming. It's the jubilee of jubilees. It's the Sabbath of Sabbath. And he's basically saying, bring it on, Lord. When is this day coming when everything will be put right, when justice will come like a river, when slaves will be set free? Lord, when is this jubilee of jubilees coming? Isaiah chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release some darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those words sound familiar? They should because Callum read them a few minutes ago when he read them from Luke chapter 4. So here is Jesus in Nazareth, in his hometown, in the synagogue, because he went to the synagogue every Saturday of his life. He went to the synagogue. And in this one, he stands up, and he is given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he runs through it until he gets to that passage, Isaiah 61, and he, he declares those words of the jubilee. And then he goes and sits down because Jewish teachers sit down before they teach. And the eyes of all the synagogue are fastened on him. And Jesus very tellingly says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see why he uses the word today? Because all of Jewish history, all of creation, day by day by day is building up to the day. When is the day? When is the day? And Jesus says, today is the day. He's not just talking about that particular day. He's talking about the fact that here, God's creator is coinciding completely with his creation. Jesus is saying today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what was, why did Jesus choose of all the Old Testament, why did he choose the Jubilee? Why did he choose Isaiah chapter 61 to speak in his hometown in the synagogue? Because it's all about release of captives. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about slaves being set free. It's all about justice for the poor. And Jesus says, you want to know why I've come? I've come for justice for the poor. I've come for debts to be cleared. I've come for sins to be forgiven, the blind to see. I've come to declare that the year of the Lord's favor is here.
just as in the Old Testament, the temple is sacred place and sacred space. Sabbath is sacred time. So, if you ever desecrated the temple in any way, there were serious consequences. In the same way, in the Old Testament, for instance, in the book of Numbers, a man goes out to collect firewood on the Sabbath, and he is stoned to death because of it. Why? Because the Sabbath was sacred time. What Jesus was saying in that day in Nazareth was this. The Sabbath is standing before you. In the same way that Jesus' teaching was, I am the temple, he also taught, I am the Sabbath. The Sabbath has come. That wonderful hymn, A Sabbath Rest by Galilee, was still of hills above where the disciples, I've forgotten the words of the hymn. I hadn't planned to say it, which is why, why I don't. But the disciples stopped to share with you the silence of eternity interpreted by love, O still small voice of calm. O still small voice of calm. The reality is that in connecting and encountering Jesus Christ, we are meeting the person himself who is Sabbath rest. That's why Jesus stood up and said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why was he saying that? Because Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is Sabbath rest. Jesus is the Jubilee incarnate. I'm a bit of a Sabbatarian. And before you get too concerned about that, let me tell you what that means. I was going to say, hello, I'm Nigel. I'm a Sabbatarian. Sabbatarian is basically saying, okay, Sunday is special in the same way as Jewish Sabbath is special. And I imagine that a lot of us here, um, probably if you're the same age as me, and I've grown up in Northern Ireland, you may well be a bit of a Sabbatarian too. If you're younger than me, you may be less of a Sabbatarian than me. I think there are three factors for me in this. One is I grew up in the Church of Ireland, and the Church of Ireland, every occasional time in the liturgy, uh, the Ten Commandments are read out. And in, in that includes commandment number four. Keep the Sabbath. God brought you out of slavery. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Also as well, I grew up in 1970s and 1980s in, in Northern Ireland, which was a very Sabbatarian culture. And uh, so for that reason, over the years, I've been very supportive, fully supportive, still am, of um, Keep Sunday Special. The Keep Sunday Special campaign. You may not even have heard of it, but there was one, Keep Sunday Special campaign. And so for us as a family, we, even though it's one of the busiest days of our week, we try to incorporate 
elements of that restfulness into our Sundays. So we don't, we don't shop, we don't buy fuel, we don't buy papers, um, we have a family meal, perhaps an extended family meal, uh, don't shop online, don't pay household bills. It's like a confession time, but I'm, what, what I'm trying to do today is explain the fact that the Bible says there is no, there's no scriptural mandate or command for Sunday being treated as a Jewish Sabbath. And the reason is because Jesus himself is the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment. But what I also want to say today is that Christianity is for big people. But that I don't mean it's not for children because it's just as much for children as it is for adults. You see, Jesus Christ died for us to give us complete freedom. But with freedom, we also discover immediately that with great freedom comes great responsibility. And so what Jesus Christ has done, not just to do with this whole thing of rest, but in other elements of teaching throughout Scripture is this. He has given us the freedom and the responsibility to make sure that we incorporate rhythms of rest into our lives that help us connect with God. So that wonderful song we're singing, Lord, I, I want to be close to you. I want to be close to your heart. Jesus Christ has given us responsibility to incorporate rhythms of work and rhythms of rest into our own lives. The commandment no longer applies to us because Jesus Christ has fulfilled that Old Testament commandment. For Susan and I, Friday tends, it, Friday is our, is our main, is our, is our day of rest. We try and have 24 hours where we rest. Try and turn off phones, um, don't read emails, um, and do the things that we love to do. And so in a few, in a few weeks' time, start of October time, we're going to spend a few Sunday mornings as part of our start of our life group series looking at how do we discover as Christians rhythms of work and rest. And, and I, would, I would still, personally, I would still advocate finding a 24-hour period in the week, it doesn't have to be Sunday, where we find a place where we cease from all work. I'm not just talking about paid employment, I'm also talking about all those little jobs, DIY jobs and paying household bills and all that type of stuff. Unless you love doing those things, unless writing household bills restores your soul, and helps you connect with God. You go right on ahead if that's what you love to do. But we'll talk about that in a few weeks' time at the start of October time. But I think it's important for us to look at this whole area because I, I, I think I find myself, in, 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 as it were, in the midst of two, two potential pitfalls. I think, I think one pitfall is the pitfall, um, and I suffer from both these things, so uh, again, confession time. Uh, the pitfall of legalism where you think, isn't it desperate what they're doing on a Sunday? Isn't it desperate what they're doing on a Sunday? 
Well, actually, Scripture is not giving us that guidance or mandate. The other challenge is one of licentiousness. It's basically going, isn't it great to be free? Isn't it great that we're free from the Old Testament law? Isn't it great that we're free, to, free in Christ? I'm exhausted from all this freedom because we're not actually weaving by the power of the Holy Spirit's guidance into our lives patterns of rest. We've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've said, that was Old Testament stuff. I don't need to rest anymore. I can go seven days a week, 24 hours a day, because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And we absolutely exhaust ourselves. And the other thing as well is that right throughout the Old Testament, and in the understanding of the New Testament as well, Sabbath and justice were inextricably linked. So the whole idea of there being this place of connecting in sacred space with God was not just for the health of the person doing it, it was for the health of everybody. So one of the things we need to ask ourselves in living and moving in the, in the realm of freedom, which I want us all to live in, in the freedom free of legalism, free to live in grace, is, the, is to then in maturity to say, how is me exercising my freedom impacting other people? And I would still, for myself, I would still say, and this is just purely a personal reflection, that in our time as a family over this last uh, 20, how many years am I? 22, 20. We've loved, both forgotten, we've both forgotten. There you go. Don't ask us after, we've forgotten how long we're married. But I think not only have we benefited from having very specific times of rest in the week, and, and for part of that being Sunday for us, I think other people have benefited too. I'm not saying let's wholeheartedly embrace everyone taking a day off on Sunday. What I'm saying is this. I think us doing that has helped other people also rest that they wouldn't otherwise have had that rest. Because here's the thing I've noticed. The people who are pushing hardest for Sunday not being special are the big retailers. And if you go and work for a big retailer, if you're at the bottom of the heap, you have very little choice when you work. And if you are, I've noticed among the young people who have belonged to this church, you go and work for a big company, a big retailer, not just retailers, but big companies, you're often told you're working on Sunday and there's no discussion about it. And what impact does that have? They can't come to church. Can't spend vital time with their family. It's a justice issue. See, justice is basically saying, how do we act personally and act corporately to make sure that the people who have the least say, the people who have the littlest voice, the people who are financially at the bottom of the heap, how do we make sure that what we do and what we say and how we act doesn't actually mean that their freedom is taken away from them? I'm not advocating Sabbatarianism, but what I'm saying is this. We need to ask the question, how does us exercising freedom impact other people who often have no choice when they exercise rest? 
I want to ask us a few questions, which uh, hopefully, hopefully will help us in a way act as a barometer of how are we doing at exercising godly rest. It has justice issues in it, and the reason is this. The more we rest in the holy presence of God, the more we enjoy the sweetness of his presence, the more passionate we will be about seeing debts cleared, seeing poverty alleviated, seeing hungry people fed, and thirsty people having drink, and prisoners set free. So here's some questions. And I think the Holy Spirit is moving all of us towards a place of giving a resounding yes to all these questions. Question one, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are you listening to his Holy Spirit within you? Sorry, I haven't covered this in the teaching yet, but I'll come back to it in a second. Um, within you, impelling you to join his people every Lord's Day for celebration. What I should have said was, you see, what the New Testament does say is on the first day of the week, get together with your fellow believers and celebrate the fact that God's new creation has come. Do you ever get really excited about worshiping the Lord? Are you increasingly becoming increasingly like Jesus, the man who never rushed, never made a hasty decision, who had time to be interrupted by those in need, and when he saw those in need, invariably had compassion on them? Are you learning his Spirit's unforced rhythms of grace in your life? Is generosity, compassion, and justice springing up and spilling out of your life on a daily basis? Are you excited about seeing people receiving God's forgiveness, having their debts canceled, and justice done? Does our church's mission excite you to the poor, through Alpha, Christians Against Poverty, and the Money Course, Jobs Club, Free Clothes Boutique, World Mission, do those things excite you? I think those are challenges. I know they're challenges to me. But they're an indicator of how well we are resting in the rhythms of God. Because when we do, then we will burn with fire for the justice for the downtrodden and the poor just as Jesus did as he stood up on that Saturday Sabbath in the synagogue in Nazareth all those years ago and said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And why is the Spirit of the Lord on me? And what's the Spirit of the Lord doing through me? He's come. He sent me for the poor and the blind and the downtrodden and the prisoner and the oppressed and the captive. Jesus said, that is why I've come. Jesus, who was living in complete communion with the Father. What was the thing that really burned on his heart? What did he want to say most of all before the people that he'd grown up with in his own community? He said, God has sent me here today. He sent me a Sabbath rest. He sent me for the poor. This morning, as we're talking about this, the thing that'd be most in your mind might be this. I'm wrecked. I'm worn out. Let me read for you uh, Eugene Peterson's great uh, translation or paraphrase of those words from, from Matthew chapter 11. 
Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I think all of us need to hear afresh that invitation today. And this morning, to bring our restlessness and our hasty decisions and our tendency to keep, keep working even beyond the point where we know that the Holy Spirit is telling us to rest. And to enlarge our heart for those who are poor and marginalized and broken and far from God. And it all starts with saying yes to that invitation. So one of the reasons why in our worship services we spend time in those three songs in the center worshiping the Lord is this. As as Mel was saying, I want to be an influencer for good. That starts in the place of worship. The world should rejoice whenever it sees us connecting with God in prayer and worship. Because the world will change because of it. This morning, let's say yes to the invitation of Jesus Christ. It's not a command. It's an invitation. An invitation to meet the one who is himself Sabbath rest. And to help the world enjoy that same Sabbath rest that we have and are discovering increasingly in our relationship with Jesus Christ.